Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Gives to Esme, leaps into the end zone, touchdown Notre Dame. Ball caught, touchdown! What a catch by Jaden Thomas. Hands off the dig, there he goes! 20, 15, 10, touchdown Notre Dame! Notre Dame football coverage continues now from Sports Radio 960 AM, WSPT. Here come the Irish! Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. Sportsbeat continues on this Wednesday evening. Let's talk Notre Dame football with the Fighting Irish football beat reporter for Blue and Gold Illustrated. All of his stories, his analysis, his commentary available at blueandgold.com. My co-host for Game Day Sportsbeat during the Notre Dame football season, Tyler Horkett, jumps back on the program here on this first day of February, and we're about a month away from the start of Notre Dame football spring practice, believe it or not. Well, Tyler, good to be with you. Thank you so much for the time. Always greatly appreciate it. And the last time we talked, you referenced the series you've been doing at blueandgold.com. You've been going through every one of Sam Hartman's games last year at Wake Forest, and the series has been fantastic. I know there's a lot of good information going out to Irish fans from this work that you're doing. So watching these games, this question came to mind, and I remember talking to a Wake Forest beat reporter about this as well, and he was really, really speaking the praises of the skill position players around Hartman last year to enhance his numbers. Hey, a great quarterback still needs good people around him. So after watching a lot of film of Hartman and Wake Forest, I'd love to get your take on, can you compare the Wake Forest targets he had last year to what he's going to be working with this year? Is it a fair comparison? Well, I don't know if it's a fair comparison if you're just going numbers-wise because I'll throw some out at you. Lorenzo Styles Jr., we're excluding Michael Mayer, Obviously, he was Notre Dame's top target last year, 67 catches, over 800 yards, nine touchdowns. After that, it got pretty bleak. Lorenzo Styles would have been your number one wide receiver. He had 30 catches for 340 yards and one touchdown. You have to go all the way down to Wake Forest, number five wide receiver to have somebody that has similar numbers to that. And that guy still has better numbers than Lorenzo Styles Jr. This is Wake Forest fifth leading wide receiver in terms of catches 37 catches seven more than styles 642 yards six touchdowns that was donovan green so in terms of numbers absolutely wake forest had had better wide receivers and pass catchers but now you have to ask the question how much better did sam hartman make those wake forest wide receivers because i'm 11 games into the rewatch that you mentioned I got one more. It's taken quite a bit of time. I try to do two to three per week. I've done three this week. I think I'm going to knock the other one out this week. But in watching all of these games, 
it's pretty obvious that Sam Hartman has the ability to throw these guys open, anticipate when they're making their breaks on their routes at the top of their routes and putting it right on them. I mean, you know how football goes. You want to throw it before they're even making that break. So when they turn around, they're catching the ball and they can do something with it. You didn't really see that from Drew Pine last year. So obviously Sam Hartman is making these guys better, but I'm not sure where that gap lies. You know, when you take out the quarterback element, are they still better then Notre Dame's wide receivers recruiting rankings would tell you no. I think A.T. Perry, uh, Wake Forest's top pass catcher, 81 catches, 1,096 yards, 11 touchdowns. Obviously, all those numbers are even better than Mayer's, so that's so- telling you something right there. He wasn't a better recruit than Styles or Deion Colsey or even Jaden Thomas. I think he was in that ballpark in terms of re- recruit. And Taylor Morton, Wake Forest. Second leading wide receiver, 47 catches, 575 yards, nine touchdowns. He was a three-star recruit. So Sam Hartman is making these guys better. And obviously they're throwing the ball a little bit more than Drew Pine did at at Notre Dame at Wake Forest. So all of these elements kind of combine into it. But, I mean, I tweeted it out with one of the rewatch stories this week. I said, Notre Dame needs to have somebody play like A.T. Perry in 2023 if they're going to have the offense that the Irish want to have. And quite frankly, they, they need those depth guys to step up too. They need guys to play like Jamal Banks at Wake Forest, who had 42 catches, 636 yards, nine touchdowns. I mean, you're talking double-digit touchdowns almost for multiple players on this team. Nobody, outside of Michael Mayer, nobody had more than three touchdown catches for Notre Dame. So there, there needs to be a serious uptake. If you're just talking uh, numbers, then Wake Forest beat out Notre Dame pretty badly in the pass-catching department. Tyler Horkin, Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, my guest. So let's talk about the depth at the wide receiver position. Is there a freshman that's coming into school this year that could impact Notre Dame at the wide receiver spot? You've got Braylon James, Jaden Greathouse, Rico Flores Jr., Caleb Smith. Does any of those four seem like someone that could possibly help this offense in 2023? I think the great part for Notre Dame is maybe all of them could contribute based on what we know about Notre Dame's wide receivers, what they have coming back. I mean, look, I I mentioned Drew Pine, and maybe if Notre Dame had a a better passer as a quarterback, a more equipped arm, just a better overall athlete at the quarterback position, then those guys would have had better numbers. But, I mean, Lorenzo Styles struggled with drops. Jaden Thomas was a little bit inconsistent he had great games and then he had games where you didn't even know that he was running routes out there and again I don't know how much that uh, you can blame Drew Pine or you can blame Jaden Thomas for that but that was just the fact so I think based on what Notre Dame has coming back or what they don't have coming back and being that uh, three of the guys that you just mentioned are top 30 top 35 wide receivers in the country you know they're among the top 30 to 35 players at their position all the high schoolers in America, that, that's, those sound like guys that can get it done right away. If I signal out one guy, I wrote about him today at blueandgold.com, you can go and, and read that article. I think it's Jaden Greathouse. We're talking about a 6'2", 220-pound uh, player that comes from a powerhouse in Central Te- Texas, Austin, Westlake. Uh, I mean, that school pumps out guys every single year. I mean, you have Super Bowl winners at the quarterback position, uh, coming from that school, Drew Brees, most notably. 
this is a guy that, among all the great players that have ever rolled through that school, was breaking records. He's the most prolific wide receiver that they've ever had, over 4,000 yards in his career. I think he had 53 touchdowns in high school. That's just ridiculous with how short the games are. And uh, you only have, I mean, if you make it to the state final, you're probably playing 15 to 16 games, maybe. So this is a guy that has the body, has the body of work, and he can come in right away and do something with Sam Hartman for sure. So, Tyler, let's take Sam Hartman out of the answer possibility for this question. Which transfer, not named Hartman, do you feel like will have the biggest impact on this year's Fighting Irish football team? Well, we've got a theme going with this interview tonight, (laughs) so I'm just going to keep it going that way and say wide receiver Caleb Smith from Virginia Tech. Uh, I've talked about the what Notre Dame has coming back at wide receiver. I mean, you're relying on three juniors who don't have a big body of work in Lorenzo Styles, Jaden Thomas, and Deion Colsey. Uh, two of those guys, the latter two I just mentioned, probably uh, you're feeling really good about with the way that they ended last season, but you still need that veteran presence to come in at the wide receiver position, being that you lost Braden Lindsay. I know he didn't put up astronomical numbers either, but he was a pretty steady presence all year, definitely played a lot. He played the most out of any of the wide receivers on the Notre Dame roster. You lose him, you got to bring in a guy like Caleb Smith. He instantly brings in the best statistics of any of the Notre Dame wide receivers, 74 catches, 1,143 yards, and seven touchdowns in his career. I mentioned Wake Forest, A.T. Perry a little bit earlier. He had that all in one season. So maybe if you team up Caleb Smith with Hartman, I'm not saying Caleb Smith is an A.T. Perry type. He's a little bit shorter, probably not as dynamic running the like go routes and fades and things of that nature. But I've seen enough from Caleb Smith and watching his tape to think that he can get catches at all areas of the field. If you want to throw him a screen, he could probably get you five to 10 yards. If you want to throw something over the middle of the field, he'll get you 15 to 20. And then he can try to burn some guys too. So uh, Notre Dame needed, I mean, this is something that they needed last year to bring in at the same time. And they couldn't do it in terms of uh, transfer wide receivers. They got one this year and they're teaming, he's teaming up with uh, the crown jewel of the transfer portal class, if you want to call Sam Hartman that. So I think that connection right there is going to be really good. And if we're not talking Hartman, Hartman plays into this a little bit, obviously, because he's going to be throwing him the ball. But if you're not talking Hartman among transfers that came into Notre Dame, then you got to talk Caleb Smith. So have we figured out how we're going to differentiate between Caleb Smith, wide receiver, Virginia Tech, and Caleb Smith, wide receiver, freshman from the class of 2023? Well, I have no idea, to be honest with you. I think they look a little bit different, so that might help. But then again, you put on that gold helmet, and they kind of all look the same out there. But I tell you what, if these guys are both catching touchdowns for Notre Dame in 2023 – there's 79,000 people, whatever it is, in the stands that will gladly confuse the two <laughs> Caleb Smiths as long as they're putting points on the board. I, I'm just thinking as a writer, that's where it's going to be difficult in, oh, in yeah, trying absolutely. to separate the two. All right. How about this? This has been a common theme for a few years, and I gave some numbers on the show yesterday, and I want to credit you guys at Blue and Gold Illustrated again for doing the work. There's always seems to be an uproar from a small portion of the Notre Dame fan base every time the opponent's schedule comes out, the number of teams that have a bye before playing the Fighting Irish. Now, I think over the last 36 times this has occurred, Blue and Gold figured out it was 29-7, and the Notre Dame record, which is pretty good. They went 2-0 and against teams that had a bye before taking on the Irish last year, and that is North Carolina 
and Clemson. So this year, we see all the schedules out, and there is not one Notre Dame opponent this year that has a bye before taking on the Fighting Irish. Of course, Navy's the first game of the year for both, so that doesn't count. Tennessee State, it's their first game of the year, but, I mean, it's FCS and it's really not a bye. Everybody else plays the week before. Do you think this whole conversation is a tad bit overrated? Yeah, I do, especially considering uh, – I mean, it's kind of overrated from two different perspectives because, like you said, we, we tabulated all the numbers and – Notre Dame was having no issues really with these teams that were coming off the buy. So if you're looking at it from a fan's perspective and you're complaining, well, just look at the record. Your team is winning these ball games, so it doesn't really matter. And then, you know, you look at it from the flip side and the ACC, especially with Notre Dame playing all these ACC games since 2015, uh, they were losing these games and Notre Dame has won 28 games in a row against ACC opponents. So you can't sit there and say, well, the thing we got to do if we're going to beat Notre Dame is make sure that, Clemson is well-rested going into that thing or North Carolina or any of these teams. It hadn't worked in the last five, six, seven years. So I think the ACC finally just kind of said, this isn't a a big issue. And the ACC itself maybe thought it was a little bit overrated when they released their schedule this week. It kind of showed that, hey, it's it's not a big deal to have a bye week before you play Notre Dame because they might beat you anyway and and maybe we can get it done this way. (laughs) I don't think that's, I don't think that's what they were thinking. But I think it finally came to a consensus to where the league was just saying, hey, uh, we don't need our top-tier teams to have a bye week before they play Notre Dame. I don't think it was really working. Uh, Let's just make the schedule without them in mind. And obviously you have to factor in Notre Dame uh, in that schedule. But Notre Dame already released its schedule, so we knew what it was uh, going back to a couple weeks ago. So I think it is a little overrated. And, you know, my colleague Patrick Ingle, when he released his article about the ACC schedule this week, (laughs) he kind of said, well, we have, uh, we're saving ourselves months and months of banter about this because it's, it's not a thing this year. Notre Dame is not playing any teams with the bye, which is actually kind of crazy, though, because since 2015, they've played more games against opponents than who had a bye week going into that game than any other team in the FBS. And it's pretty uh, astronomical to think about that because you're thinking about teams like, uh, I don't know, I think maybe the Mountain West had a really high concentration where teams like Air Force and Hawaii were having mm-hmm. to go out and play uh, all these teams because that's how, you know, the powerhouses schedule it. They're like, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll you know, make sure that they're coming in. Um, we're going into that on a bye week or whatever it is. And you don't think Notre Dame would be that team, but Notre Dame was that team. And finally, we don't have to talk about it this year. Hmm. I agree with you. I think the bye talk is overrated. I will say this, if I was the ACC, I would think about what the SEC does a lot of times. No conference does a better job of protecting their elite teams because, for example, Georgia and Alabama crossover play, we don't see that happen. They want to make sure the two teams that can make them a lot of money stay in the playoff run. So what does the ACC do with Clemson? They put them on the road back-to-back games before Notre Dame comes to Death Valley. I know it's Miami and I think NC State off the top of my head. That's not protecting one of your best teams very well. So more so than the bye talk, if I'm the ACC, I probably try to make sure my best teams have a favorable schedule. And putting Clemson on the road twice before Notre Dame is something that probably is not putting the Tigers in the best total situation. 
No, going to NC State, which will probably be a night game the week before you play Notre Dame, isn't exactly equivalent to Alabama hosting Mercer before they have to go play (laughs) Auburn or or something like that. Yeah, no question about that. Speaking of that, i got to ask you really quick, because last night's show, my My 5 question of the day was the five biggest matchups among Big 12 teams this year with the schedule coming out. And I think fourth or third, I had Texas at Houston because these two have Mm -hmm. not played since 01. Texas hasn't gone to Houston since 2000. You're a Texas grad. You're a Texas guy. Am I right that this is going to be a massive regional game between these two teams? Yeah, and I think it's a kind of a win-win for Houston because if you lose the Texas well, you're supposed to. You still got all of this uh, generate like monetary buzz going about it as well. People eyes on that game, all of these things. And then if you beat them, you get to say we beat Texas. So like like you said, as a graduate of the University of Texas, it's a scary game for Texas to go in there because uh, it's definitely not a win-win for Texas if you lose that game. It's a major loss to the psyche and all these other things. But for Houston, it's huge. This is the last chance that they get them. And like you said, the first chance in over two decades. Uh, and, and for me personally, my uncle went to the University of Houston. So it's ah. kind of uh, it's, it's, a, it's a big one in the Horka household as well. See, you have bragging rights for probably many, many years. Likely they probably yeah. won't play yeah. again for a good amount of time. Just like Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, the final bedlam, that just – doesn't seem possible, but that is what we are heading toward this fall. Yeah. Finally, let me sneak in some Irish women's basketball talk. They're 17-6. and six. They go on the road to take on a BC team tomorrow. Now, the Irish have lost two of their last four road games, both games in the state of North Carolina. Luckily, BC is not in North Carolina. They hammered BC earlier <laughs> this year. But I'm just wondering, after watching the NC State game, I mentioned to you last Wednesday that a lot of teams are going to zone Notre Dame because the Irish without Dara Mabry, who's going to hit any three-point shots? It looks like that theory starting to take hold, and that helped NC State win? Yeah, absolutely. And I asked Neil Ivey today, uh, she's a little bit worried about the way that Notre Dame is shooting the three or, or not shooting the three. I think there were six of 23 in that game, and it's a four-point game. If you make just a couple three-point shots, and I know – the game goes differently and you can't just say oh we're two shots away from winning this thing but when the math boils down to it if you make two to three more three-point shots in that game you probably have a really good chance of winning it and six to 23 just at the end of the day did not cut it so uh Sonia Satrone I think she was one of six in that game and she's a season 48 percent shooter or 45 percent shooter uh you think that she's not going to shoot like that often but I mean, here we are. It seems like every other week we're having a conversation about how Notre Dame didn't play very well on the road, and, and that's definitely concerning. Uh, Boston College is a place where they lost last year, probably had no business losing out there. That was uh, when you look at the NCAA tournament last year, Notre Dame was a five seed, and you're looking at how close they were to maybe being a four seed and hosting two games at the Purcell Pavilion to, uh, in the NCAA tournament. You look at games like that uh, on the road, against an opponent that you shouldn't have lost to. So this is a big one for Notre Dame. They have to shoot well. It sounded like they're going to be playing without Lauren Ebo for a second consecutive game. So you're looking at eight scholarship players, uh, someone that started for you last week in the first game without Dara Mabry being out two games in a row now. Um, This is kind of the stretch run going into the end of conference play. So they need to stack up wins. They can't lose the teams that they should beat. And that's the case tomorrow at Boston College.
Let's finish with this. I would say promising from that game against NC State was the early enrollee, Cassandra Prosper. During that big run that got the Irish back in the game, she hit back-to-back threes, and it seems like her playing time continues to increase and probably will increase with Mabry being out. Is there a chance that she might be able to help this team a little bit with some outside shooting based on what we saw against NC State? Yeah, absolutely. That was the thing with her coming in was she was always that you look at her and in women's basketball, she kind of has a a forward's body and you say, okay, she can bang with the post down low, but then she kicks out. And even when she handles the ball, you can see that she's got a little bit more athleticism to her than most players her size. So you saw on those back-to-back shots, I tweeted it that it kind of felt like a coming out party for her and showing what she can do because that wasn't just an anomaly and oh, she's stepping up in the moment in a big game and we're not going to see this going forward. I think you will see that going forward. She can shoot, she can stretch the floor, and Notre Dame is just dying for anybody to stretch the floor right now because when Dara Mabry, even when she was in her slump, she was still stretching the floor. And you mentioned the zone at the top mm-hmm. of this conversation. They have been facing a ton of zone in the last two two to three games. So if you've got a 6-2 forward type that's you know playing the, the wing and she's stretching out like that and, and making a couple three-pointers per game, I think teams are going to think twice about playing that zone, and that's going to be to the, the benefit of Olivia Miles, who's handling the ball. She can slice and dice easier, get to the rim a little bit, kick out. So, yeah, absolutely. If Cassandra Posper can keep making those kinds of shots, this Notre Dame offense will be completely different. What type of offer do you have for us right now at blueandgold.com? Yeah, so I mentioned a couple weeks ago that we're all, we're up to twenty nine ninety nine, which is still a heck of a deal. If you didn't get in when it was one dollar, I don't know what you're doing. If you're a Notre Dame <laughs> fan, because that was the best deal that we had going. But twenty nine ninety nine uh, right now to get you through the start of the twenty twenty three season, which is August twenty sixth against Navy. And I mean, if you get on there, you can spend all day. I mean, it'd probably take you multiple days to go through my Sam Hartman rewatch. Like I said, I'm all the way through 11 games now. I'll do the 12th game at some point this week. Uh, Mike Singer's recruiting content is probably the best on the beat. Actually, I know it's the best on the beat. He covers it like nobody else. And we cover Notre Dame athletics like nobody else either. So go to blueandgold.com, get your $29.99 subscription, and, uh, I mean, it's the best thing that you can do if you're a fighting Irish fan. Good to catch up with you. Thank you very much for the visit. We'll talk to you next week. All right, Darren. Thank you. Talk to you next week. You bet. Tyler Horka, Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated. Their website, easy to remember, blueandgold.com. 632 at WSBT. Sports fans, the king of beers. Hey, everyone. Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 